Well, good morning. It is so good to see you here today. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, we want you to know, just because we're not sitting with you doesn't mean we don't love you, okay? I don't know if you can see or not, but this side's heavily overloaded compared to that one. So we just want y'all to know we love you. We're just not going to sit with you today, all right? Is that all right? Oh, no, we're not going there. We're not going there, but it's good to see you. Thank you so much for being here today. Hope that uh, you've had a wonderful week and uh, have uh, had a wonderful weekend thus far. Uh, Just a couple things I want to call your attention to. Make sure you read the announcements that are in your bulletin. All of them are very important. You'll notice that uh, Mr. Flannery is three years old uh, tomorrow. Well, three years with us tomorrow. Uh, I shouldn't say three years old. He's been with us three years uh, tomorrow, and we're celebrating his uh, ministry anniversary. I appreciate Zach, and and, uh, we're going to miss him and uh, Courtney and little Liam whenever they they fly the coop here next month. But we're glad that they've been with us these three years. Uh, Also, uh, just wanted to make sure that you understood that um, the business conference will be immediately following the service We've got one other thing that we're going to do. We're, we've, got our new, we've got a new Spanish-speaking work that's going to begin in this building uh, this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And we're wanting to pray over Dr. Serrano and <clears throat> Miss Lita. Is Brother Gabriel going to be here? Do you know? So he'll be here shortly, and we're going to pray over them. So uh, as, we, as we launch them into that new Spanish-speaking ministry that starts this afternoon... So that, uh, that and the conference will be immediately at the end of our service. A couple things I uh, want to make sure you're aware of, too. We've got some magnets out in the uh, foyer on the table. Uh, these, we'll call them refrigerator magnets because if you put them on your car, somebody's going to run into you trying to read it. And we don't want that to happen. So we'll call them refrigerator magnets, okay? But it's got uh, all of our service times on it and things like that. If you want to share that with someone uh, and as you invite them to come and worship with us, uh, maybe come to our connect groups and, and be a part of that, the studies there. That's what these magnets are for. You can pick those up. And then we still have the save the dates. We're closing in on Vacation Bible School, <clears throat> which is coming up the end of June. So we're getting closer every week, and we could use your help in getting the word out so that we can have our community participate in our Vacation Bible School. That's what these little yellow cards are. They're save the dates. And it has a, uh, well, no, it doesn't either. I thought it had a QR code on it. It just has the dates and the time. So you can pick that up, invite someone to, uh, to bring their children to Vacation Bible School. All of that is out in the front foyer. Miss Nancy, you got an announcement for us? I just want to let you all know about something I'm excited about for the summer. Uh, Some of your Sunday school classes heard about it earlier today. But starting in June, we are going to have a summer gospel choir. And this is open to all ages. I'll say 14 and up. Um, We're going to meet on Sunday mornings, 930 to 10. I will get you to your Sunday school class by 10 o'clock. And we will be singing some just very familiar gospel songs, easy two-part harmony, You're not going to have to learn anything from scratch. There's safety in numbers. You do not have to have a trained opera voice. (laughs) But we're going to have a great time, and I'm excited about this. It's a little different format so that no one has to worry about driving at night. We're just going to meet for 30 minutes each Sunday, June, July, and August, and then we will sing one of those songs that we're learning every other Sunday throughout the summer during our Sunday morning worship. If you've got any questions, 
feel free to come see me. Thanks. And the rehearsal is going to be in here? In the choir room. In the choir room in downstairs choir room. in the basement. So if you want to participate in that uh, gospel choir, uh, in the basement is where you guys will be uh, rehearsing. Again, good to see you. We're going to take just a moment to pray together. Uh, pray that you've had a, a good week and that things are going well with you. But if, you're, if, if things are just kind of tough today, I want you to know that there's a God who loves you and that there's a God who cherishes you, who is here for you. And so we're going to pray to the God of heaven who knows all things and can do all things. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a honor and a privilege it is for us to be in this house of worship. And Lord, we're always mindful on Sunday mornings that there may be some who walked into this room today that, uh, man, everything has just been really great this week. It seemed like uh, things fell into place like they were hoping it would, and it's just been a great week. So Lord, today, they've come today to celebrate what you're doing in their life and how you have uh, met those needs and taking care of those circumstances. But, Lord, we're also mindful that there's others who may come into this room on Sunday mornings that are struggling. They're just, it's just a battle right now. Uh, no matter what area of their life it may be, they're struggling. And we thank you, God, that you are here for them today, that this is the place where they can find hope, they can find peace, they can find rest. It's a place, Lord, where they can lean upon you and find that you are all-sufficient God for whatever's going on in their life. And, Lord, we thank you that you are in this place today. Thank you for gathering with us. You've told us that you would be in the presence of your people when just as few as two or three are gathered. And there's so many more than that here. You've told us, Lord, that you will inhabit the praise of your people. And even now, as we prepare to sing, Lord, we want our songs to be, we want them to be praised to you. And that you would inhabit that praise. Lord, we need you today. We depend upon you today. We call upon you today. Do in this time that we have together what only you can do. It's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I would invite you to stand and join us as we sing together.
praise, let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of a praise, worthy is the one who is over the hundred grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the They see him here. They see him here. And they see him here. We know it because he said it. Jesus said, the world will see him when the world sees us. That's why together we do this. We give so that those who've not yet seen can see. It means something when the world sees how we give. It means something because we do not look the same. It means something because we do not sound the same. It means something because when we give, this is what the world sees. They see the gospel doing what the world cannot. They see the gospel making us one. And so we give. We give so that missionaries can go. We give so that churches can be started, hurts can be healed, and truth can be shared. We give so the world might see Jesus in us. United as one. Good morning. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, you've, uh, you've come and you've given us so much, so very much. Lord, you're always faithful to us. You always stand by us, regardless of our actions, regardless of, our, of the things that we do. You are faithful to us. Help us to be a faithful people to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
Jesus Christ is our living hope, and uh, that is that's something to celebrate for us today because we're not, we don't worship a dead hero or a, a fallen prophet, we, we worship a risen Savior, and um, that gives us something to be joyous about. So glad that you're here today. I uh, want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah. Uh, that's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's in between uh, Jonah and Nahum, I believe. Uh, yep, Jonah and Nahum. If you're like most people, you may have to go to the front and look at the index to find the page because it's a small book, and, and we don't really hear a lot about the prophet Micah. Uh, but we're going to be spending some time together in this book over the next uh, several weeks and the, the theme of the book is God's faithfulness. And we're going to be looking how God is faithful in all circumstances, in all situations. It's easy sometimes when things are good to proclaim that God is faithful. But God is faithful in the bad times too. He's faithful in the struggle as well. And we're going to be looking through this book together these next several weeks. So Micah, uh, chapter number 1, we're going to read verses 2 down through verse number 7 together this morning as we uh, launch into a study of this book. Here's what the Bible says in Micah, chapter 1, beginning in verse number 2. Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains, 
And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire. Like water pour down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in an open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley, and I will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed, all of her earnings will be burned with fire, and all of her images I will make desolate. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings, and to the earnings of a harlot they will return. Let's pray. Father, today we open up the inerrant, the infallible, the inspired, the authoritative Word of God. We know, Lord, that in these, in these pages, you reveal your, your character to us. You show us who you are. You invite us through these words to know you better. And Lord, today we enter into the study of your prophet, your servant, Micah, and the words that you moved upon his heart, his mind, and his hand to pin down. And now, Lord, we, we know that there is benefit for us here, that there is something that is profitable for us here. We also know that there's something here, Lord, that we have read that is for our correction and our reproof. So, Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. And I pray, God, as we go through our time together, you will do a work in our hearts and in our lives that only you can do. That, Lord, when we walk out of this place, we will have been transformed and changed by your presence and by your power. And we pray this in the most precious name we know, our living hope, Jesus Christ. Amen. I titled this morning's message just for purposes we'll talk about in a moment, A Tale of Two Cities. Out of curiosity, anybody have to read that book in school? Oh, about three. Okay. All right. Well, just in case you're not sure or familiar with The Tale of Two Cities, the author It's Charles Dickens, and he wrote this book as a chronicle of the French Revolution, and uh, he titled it The Tale of Two Cities. Now, the opening lines of this book, I want to read it to you in case you haven't ever read it, because it has a lot to say about what Micah has to tell us today. The opening lines of The Tale of Two Cities is, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was an age of wisdom. It was an age of foolishness. It was an epic of belief. It was an epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, but it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going directly to heaven We were all going direct the other way. That's what Charles Dickens wrote. Now, we know that the cities he's talking about, the two cities he compares in his writing, is 
London and Paris, chronicling the French Revolution. But this, these words could have just as well been written about the cities that we're going to talk about this morning. One is the city of Samaria. Samaria is the capital city of the northern kingdom. You'll remember even as Solomon was ending his reign because of sin that Solomon had allowed into his personal life, God had promised Solomon that the kingdom would be split in two. And and indeed it was. Ten tribes band together and they became the the, the, the nation that they called Israel and their capital, the northern kingdom, was Samaria. But then there were two tribes left and they bound together and they met together in the southern kingdom and their capital was Jerusalem. Now, so we have the people of God that's already been divided by the sin that they've allowed into life. Ten in one part and two in another. The Bible tells us that the northern kingdom, the one that where Samaria is the capital, has a history that is just riddled with evil rulers. They had allowed idolatry to come into their, into their nation. They had set up temples and shrines to all of these pagan gods there in Israel and around Samaria. They had become spiritually apostate. They had moved away from their fear of God and moved into this this age of enlightenment. This age where all roads lead to the same heaven. All gods lead to the same God. Does that sound familiar? In Micah's lifetime, the Assyrian army would destroy Samaria. And deport many, if not most, of the people that were part of these ten tribes of Israel. Who called the northern kingdom their home. They would be deported to other parts of the Assyrian kingdom. You see, God was trying to warn them. And Micah has been given a message of warning to, to Samaria about what is coming. But, but, but wait a minute. He's also warning Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. You see, they're starting to do the same thing. They're starting to follow the same path of rebellion. And, and they're starting to, to adopt some of these, these pagan uh, idols and things of that nature. And so Micah is with God's word upon his heart is saying to Samaria, it's coming for you and Jerusalem beware or it will come for you. God's judgment is at hand. Many people refer to Micah as the prophet of doom because he warns of God's divine judgment and wrath against Samaria and Jerusalem. If they, if they continue what they're doing, judgment is going to fall. But even as Micah is warning of God's judgment, he points to God's unwavering faithfulness to his chosen people. The ones he had made a covenant with, the ones he had promised through Abraham that their, their kingdom would last throughout the ages. The, the one who he had called his own nation and his own people. God is going to show himself even in the midst of all of this warning and all of this judgment and, and all of this 
disaster that is about to befall Syria, he's going to show himself faithful. In chapter 1, Micah is addressing the residents of these two great cities that had grown apathetic toward their toward God and comfortable in their sin. And his message is so simple. Repent or judgment will come. Repent or judgment will come. It's such a simple message. I, I mean, it was one that they couldn't misconstrue. It's, it's not a message that they could misinterpret. It's not anything that they could somehow uh, miss the very point of what Micah was trying to get to them. Repent or Judgment is coming. I believe this same cry of warning needs to be heard throughout the nation that we call home today in the United States of America. You see, God will not allow us to continue in our rebellion and spiritual apathy. There is a truth that is throughout Scripture that we cannot deny. And here it is. You ready? God will judge sin. God will judge sin. Not he might judge sin. Not that he could judge sin. Not that he should judge sin. He will judge sin. Two things I want us to notice from this warning. The two implications. The first one is is simply this. That presumption, presumption, excuse me, is dangerous. Presumption is dangerous. Dangerous, just to presume something upon God. You see, the inhabitants of both Samaria and Jerusalem had developed this false sense of security because each one looked at their heritage as being descendants of Abraham, and they thought, well, that's a guarantee that God would never destroy our cities. God would never let anything bad happen to us. We're God's people. We are, the, we are the descendants of Abraham. We are the, the nation that belongs to God. He's not going to let anything bad happen to us. That is presumption. And that's what they're doing here. After all, I mean, didn't God promise that this lineage would be God's own chosen people? Surely God's not going to allow their cities to be destroyed or their people taken captive. They see what's happening around them. They see the Assyrian army on the march. They see these other nations falling. They see these other cities being captured. They see their inhabitants being uh, deported throughout the Assyrian nation. and, And they think to themselves... Well, that's them. God would never do that to us. God would never allow that to come into our city, into our nation. The presumption was that God would tolerate their sin and rebellion simply because of who they were. Just simply because of who they were, God would wink, tolerate, put up with their sin and rebellion against him. They presumed upon God's grace. They presumed upon God's kindness. They presumed upon God's protection. And they presumed upon God's mercy. And that presumption gave them a false sense of security and emboldened their continued rebellion against God. But don't we see those same presumptions in our country today? Don't we see those exact same presumptions in the country that we love? 
that many of you fought to protect and, and, and to secure. Good to have you home today, buddy. I noticed our sailor was home today. Good to have him back with us. But many of you fought to protect this nation. Sure, surely, God's not going to let anything happen to the United States of America. This false security blankets our corruption and our idolatry and our sexual perversion and even our, our just outright rebellion against God and denial that He even exists. Folks, can I tell you something? One of the fastest growing beliefs in America today is atheism. More and more people who, who maybe even grew up in church or sat in churches just like this one are suddenly deciding, well, God doesn't exist. I'm too smart to know that, to lean upon something as a crutch like religion. Come on, this is the age of enlightenment. We have the internet. We have, we, I mean, we're a global community for goodness sakes. And it gives us this false sense of security. And this false sense of security is not just found in our nation, but folks, I believe it's found in our churches. Where the presumption is that because we're the church, then God's, God's going to wink at our sin. God's going to wink at our rebellion. God's going to wink at our idolatry. We're one nation under God, aren't we? I mean, after all, didn't our founding fathers seek to build this nation on biblical principles? Isn't that right? Aren't we viewed by the world as a Christian nation? In fact, one of our presidents declared, and I won't argue with him, we are no longer a Christian nation. Surely God would never allow us to undergo his judgment. Presumption is dangerous. We are the New Testament church, aren't we? Don't we represent the bride of Christ on earth? Aren't we God's marching army in today's world? Surely, come on, this, surely God would never send his judgment on the church. Being presumptuous is dangerous. Bottom line, God will always judge sin. And if we ever presume otherwise, it is dangerous for us. We see that with these nations. The implication was that, well, God would never do anything to us. God would never allow judgment to come to our door. We think that as a nation now, and we think that as a New Testament church now. Surely that will never come. Presumption is dangerous. But the second thing I, I want us to, to pull out of these verses and out of this warning is that judgment is devastating. Judgment's devastating. Just real quick, back at verse 6 and 7 that we read together. Listen to what he said. I'm going to make Samaria a heap of ruins in an open country, planting places for a vineyard. I'm, I'm going to make Samaria. This is a great city. I'm going to make it a heap of ruins. It's going to be so flat. It's going to be ground into powder so finely. You could go out there and plant a vineyard on it tomorrow if you want to. 
He goes on to say in verse number 7, all her idols are going to be smashed. All of her earnings will be burned with fire. All of her images will be made desolate. Because she collected them from a harlot's earnings, and to the earnings of a harlot they're going to return. That's devastation. That's devastation. The city of Samaria, by the way, was known as the jewel of the Near East in its day. I mean, the wicked King Ahab, and we, we, we know about King Ahab, and especially his wicked wife who led him into even deeper rebellion and idolatry. But King Ahab built a palace that consisted of the highest luxuries that were available in that day when it was built. You're talking about the opulence. You're talking about the decadence. You're talking about a, a, a palace that, would, that was unrivaled in that area of the, of the world. It was known throughout the world as being the place. The temples, oh, they were so ornate. They've been built on all these little small mounds and hills all through uh, the city of Samaria and all through the land of Israel. And they were built for various false gods. And, and, and they, were, they were adorned with the very best that money could buy. Man, if you, were to, if you had been alive in that day, it would have been a destination city to go see. You would have, would have walked down those streets just to see the beautiful architecture and, and the, the wonderful temples and the wonderful shrines. And, and you would have definitely wanted to visit the, the palace of the king because that was the, that, that was the most opulent of all. That was the most beautiful of all. That was the most, that was the most luxurious of all places. And to miss it, oh man, you would have missed something marvelous. And listen to what Jesus, uh, listen to what God said to them, excuse me. God said, I'm going to turn this beautiful city into a heap of ruins. I am going to turn it upside down. I'm going to smash every shrine. I'm going to smash every idol. I'm going to burn every temple. I am going to take that beautiful palace and I am going to grind it into dust. Everything that you take pride in, everything that you, you, you boast about, everything that you, you look at and say, look what we built. He said, I'm going to turn it, I'm going to turn it into rubble. Man, it's, it's going to be a mess when I, when, when, the, when the judgment falls. It, it's not going to be just a slap on the hand. It's not going to be just a, 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 a scolding. It's going to be devastating. All their shrines smashed. All the man-made things that had brought them so much pride would be turned literally to dust. And history will tell us, and we'll read a little bit about it in just a second, but history tells us, but it was just a, a few years after Micah gave this warning in Micah's lifetime. That the Assyrian king Shalmaneser V and his son Sargon would attack the city of Samaria and they would do everything to that city that God said he was going to allow to be done to that city. It wasn't halfway done, kind of done, sort of done. It was completely done. God allowed Samaria to be wiped off the map because of his judgment. Judgment is devastating. When, when God allows judgment to come into our life. And folks, can I tell you what I believe God's greatest judgment is? 
I, I really believe this, and I think I can back it up scripturally if you want to know uh, later what it is. I believe God's greatest judgment is this, when he takes his hand of presence and protection off of us and takes a step back. Samaria screamed, you're not our God. You're not our God. You're not our God. We got other gods. We don't need you anymore. And God said, okay, let's see how that goes for you. Let's, let's see how that goes for you. Is, is that not what we do as a nation today? We don't need God anymore. I mean, we're, we're, we got technology and we got some of the finest universities in the world that, that have some of the, the wisest and, and, and most intellectual men that have, and women who have ever lived who are working on our behalf to cure diseases and, and create new, new things that make our life simpler and easier. I mean, who would have ever thought a few years ago we'd be walking around with a computer in our pocket? I mean, goodness gracious, we're America, man. Come on. And we have said over and over again as a nation, you're not our God, you're not our God, you're not our God, you're not our God. We don't need you. They may have needed you back in in the early days because they didn't have all the things we have. They may have needed you way back then because they, they, they weren't as advanced as we are. They may have needed you back then because they didn't have the technology we do. But you see, we've grown, we, we've evolved. That's a good word. We've evolved to be more intellectual. We're smarter now. We're, we're, more, we're, we're more in tuned with what's going on. We don't need you, God. But you say, Tommy, I would never say that. But how many times have we said that? When something comes our way, and God calls for us to bring it to him so that he can work in it and work through it to bring about his good. And we instead step back and say, well, no, God, I got this. I don't need you to do this. I don't need you, God. I, I don't need you to take care of my finances. I know more about money than you do. I don't, uh, God, thank you. I don't need you to handle my relationships. I've got it under control. God, God I don't need you to help me raise my family. I got this. God, God, I don't need you at work. I mean, you know, we, we've got to, God, God, thank you, but I got this. I don't need you right now. And the greatest judgment of God is when he gives us what we ask for. You don't need me? Okay. And in that moment, God's judgment falls. Samaria had proclaimed over and over, we have no king but the king in the palace. We have no God but the gods of the temples. And God said, okay, then you can have it. And it was devastating. Devastating. Listen to what the Bible says in Second Kings chapter 7. Because this is the record where God is telling Samaria why he's going to allow them to fall. He's, he's, already told, he's already told them they're going to fall. Now, now here's what, he's telling them why. He's given them the, the list of why. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse, excuse me, chapter 17, verse 7. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 7. Now, this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh, 
king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel and in the customs of the kings of Israel which they had introduced. The sons of Israel did things secretly which were not right against the Lord. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set for themselves sacred pillars and asherim and on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things provoking the Lord. They served idols concerning which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer saying to them, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I have commanded your fathers, to which I have sent to you through my servants and the prophets. Verse 14, however, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like the fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant which he had made with their fathers and his warnings with which he had warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain. And they went after the nations which surrounded them concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. Isn't that something? Don't, don't miss what happens here. God warned them that this would happen it's easy to say well well tommy let's back up didn't, didn't you say the name of this series didn't you say that the the gist of the book was god's faithfulness so where is help me understand here where is god's faithfulness in all of this well did you catch verse 13 that i just read to you did, did you catch it can, can i read it to you again verse 13 Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all the prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments. There is the faithfulness of God. There is the faithfulness of God. Don't, don't miss it. God is faithful in that He never sends His judgment without a call for repentance first. God doesn't just have knee-jerk reactions. He doesn't get angry and just fly off the handle. He doesn't just wake up one morning and say, You know what? That, they're just getting under my crawl. I'm going to blast them today. But instead, in His faithfulness, in His holiness, in His righteousness, in His goodness, in His mercy, and in His grace, He comes to us and He says over and over again, Please return. I don't want to judge you. I don't want to pour wrath out upon you. I don't want you to have to go through this devastation. Come back to me. What faithfulness that is. To a people who are shaking their fist at heaven and saying, We don't need you anymore. He's saying to them, but I still want you. Come back. Come back. Repent and be restored. 
God is faithful and that he doesn't send this judgment without a call to repentance. And today God is calling us as his people. He's calling us as individuals. He's calling us as churches. He's calling us as believers around the world to turn away from our sin and turn to him in repentance. Well, what will happen if we do that, Tommy? Well, there's a good example of that too. Because Hezekiah, who's the king in the southern end, on where he's Jerusalem is the capital, he heeds that warning. And he repents. And here comes Assyria. They're blowing through the countryside like, like nothing. I mean, they're just, nothing can stop them. And they're, 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 they're just blowing right toward Jerusalem. And they get to Jerusalem and they stop. And they surround Jerusalem and say, well, we'll take it in the morning. The next morning, God says to Hezekiah, just step outside. I got something to show you. Hezekiah makes his way out of the castle and he climbs up onto the wall. And he looks out where the Assyrian army used to be and all he sees is dead bodies. God has come in the middle of the night and taken care of the enemy. Why? Why would he do that for Jerusalem but not Samaria? Because they repented. Because they repented of their sin. God spared them from his wrath. Now we know. We know history tells us. That they would later forget about God's rescue. They would later forget about God's goodness and God's grace. And they'd go right back to business as usual. And God would then have to devastate Jerusalem. But for For today, we need to understand that God hears our prayer of repentance. God is faithfully calling us to love and serve Him because He loves us and He wants to pour out His best on us, not His judgment. But do not be deceived, church. God will judge unrepentant sin. He will judge unrepentant sin. Presumption is dangerous. And judgment is devastating. In just a moment, we're going to stand together, sing together. We're going to end our our time together a little differently after our time of singing. We've got got a, a brief time where we need to do some business. But before we do that, I mean, it won't take a few minutes, I promise you. But before we do that, we've, we've got this Spanish-speaking work start, starting in our building this afternoon. And the pastors that are going to lead that are here. And we want to pray over them and pray over that congregation. And, and so we'll do that before we leave here in a little bit. But for now, we need to deal with what God's shown us through His, His Word. My prayer is, and my prayer has been, as I prepared for this, and, and as God began to lay this on my heart, my prayer was, Lord, if, if there's anyone sitting in that room that has that unrepentant sin in their life, and they've just been presuming upon God, well, God wouldn't let anything devastating happen. He, he would never judge me. I mean, I'm a good church member. I'm a moral person. I, I you know, I have good values, and I'm... I try, to, I try to do the right thing, and surely God would never really judge me. Well, can I tell you, God judges all sin. 
And so today it may be that he's calling for you to let go of that unrepentant sin, to bring it to him and lay it at his feet and say, Oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I repent of this sin. Lord, I turn away from it and I turn to you. Oh God, cleanse me and wash me. My Bible tells me in in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. But we have to do something with the sin first. It may be that you just want to pray for the nation. That when we pray in a few moments, whether you're there in your seat or whether you come to this altar, it may be that you just want to pray, Oh God, help us as a nation to turn back to you before it's too late. Whatever it may be that you need to do business with God, now's the time to do just that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your marvelous grace. Thank you for your marvelous mercy. And that, God, you never send and allow for that judgment and wrath to fall until you first called us to repentance. And, Lord, you know every heart of every person in this room right now. Lord, you know what petty sins may be kind of we're harboring in a corner of our life or in a corner of our heart. And we're just presuming that, Lord, you're not going to be offended by that sin. You're not not going to be offended by it, surely. But, Lord, your word tells us that it was... Because of sin that Jesus died for us. It was your wrath on our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And Lord, I pray that we see that you are holy and you are righteous. And that you cannot wink at our sin without violating the very character of who you are. So, Lord, help us to hear the voice of warning and the call to repentance today. That, Lord, we don't have to walk into your judgment because we've heard your call for repentance. Lord, as a nation, give us ears to hear that cry of the prophets of God, the men of God that are standing in pulpits all over this land today and calling people to repentance. Help us to hear that cry and heed that warning. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you promised us that when we come to you in repentance that you are faithful and good to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Forgive us of our sins. We pray, Lord, that we take that promise seriously today. And we pray this in the name of the one who died for our sins and the one who rose again on the third day to give us victory over death, hell, and the grave. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.
Well, thank you for being here today. Uh, Before we have our conference, I want to invite uh, Dr. Gabriel and his wife and Dr. Jose and and his wife, if they would, to come forward and just stand right up here up front. And uh, I'm going to invite all of our men who are ordained to come over and pray up over these uh, these, uh, individuals. And everyone else can have a seat if you want to. Uh, But as you sit, please pray over them as we pray over them. Uh, I just know there's not enough room up here for all of us to come. So, guys, if y'all come on over here, and we want to lay hands on you guys and pray over you and pray God's anointing upon Brother Gabriel's. He preaches tonight. He's going he's to take out the sword and do some battle tonight. So we want to pray for him. Guys, if y'all come on up, get around them, put some hands on them somehow, and let them know that we're praying over them, praying for them. And we invite you uh, there in the pew to pray as well as we pray over them now. Our Father and our God, what an honor and privilege it is to to come before you. And Lord, what a blessing you have given to us and that you have opened the door for this new new work to begin, this Spanish-speaking work here in our community. Lord, we thank you that you have raised up these people who desire to know you, who want to hear your word. And Lord, they want to hear it in the language of their heart. And so, Lord, they, they have sought out this place to come and worship. We pray for Dr. Gabriel as he preaches tonight, Lord, as he stands before them as the man of God with the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you anoint him. We pray for his, his wife, Lord, as she stands by his side, as she ministers alongside of him. We pray, God, for the anointing on her. And, Lord, you know how much we love and, and we, we appreciate uh, Dr. Serrano and his, his wife, Lita, we pray your anointing upon them as they lead, as they help Dr. Gabriel work as a team together to minister to the people who will walk in the door. We, we pray, Lord, you already know every person that's going to walk in this door this afternoon for that first worship service. And we pray, oh God, that if there's just one amongst that number that doesn't know you personally, that through the preaching of your word and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, Lord, they're going to come to know you today. We just pray, God, that that service be filled with your presence, your power. And, Lord, that that congregation would grow, not because of anything that, that Dr. Molina or, or Dr. Serrano or their families are doing, but, Lord, because of what you're doing in the lives of the people. So, God, we, we ask you to bless this new work. We know it's, it is of your hand that it's happening You're the one who opened this door. You're the one who put these people together. And so now, Lord, we pray your blessings upon it. Father, thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this new work. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Well, you you preach preach the word today, brother. God bless you. We're praying for you guys. God bless you. Appreciate you. Love you, my friend. All right, we'll let you guys be seated, if you will. Uh, I want to invite, uh, let's see, Brother Mike. Oh, you man, you done read my mind. You done jumped up here. Uh, Mike is our moderator, and he's going to be taking it from this point forward. We may need a couple of volunteers to help hand out some ballots. So if there's some brave volunteers that aren't afraid of paper cuts that want to help us out, uh, we could use that too. All right, and if you don't mind closing us in prayer when you're done. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll call us into order, and I will say, I think it's such a wonderful blessing for our church that God's given us so much that we can have this ministry, and we sure 
look forward to what you're going to do through the ministry of our church. I mean, it's just a, another blessing that God gives to our church. Um, cost of order, and Pam, do you want to do our meetings from last time? I think it's December the 4th. Is that right? Oh, wow, it's been a while. We had a lot to talk about December the 4th. So. Uh, Mike Little, the moderator, called our church to, call, to order for our meeting, and we opened with prayer. The minutes of our previous conference from August 7th and from October 23rd, 2022, were read and approved. Um, old business. In the last conference, it was approved that we allow Robert Troutman Contracting to remove the modesty wall. This work was completed. A question came from the floor asking if the cost had come in under the high-end projection of $3,000. Karen Little, our treasurer, did not have the exact figures with her, but reported that the cost was less than $3,000. And then she later reported to the clerk that the actual amount was $1,250. In new business, um, Eric Honeycutt, as a representative of the Finance Committee, made a motion that the church approve the 2023 budget. The budget was provided to the church previously for review. Eric noted that the format of the budget had changed to reflect our organization into ministry teams. Also, um, two line items, family ministry and youth and children's activities, have been combined into one line item, youth and children's ministry. That motion was seconded, voted on, and approved. Then Ashley Honeycutt, representing the deacon board, made the motion that the church vote on the proposed deacon candidates, Brandon Elkins, Kevin Allman, and Jay Hartzell. The vote was taken by secret ballot. The ballot explained that the members were voting to approve the three men for the upcoming vacant positions, Ashley Honeycutt, Tim Carr, Kerr, and Curly Shumate will be rotating off the deacon board. The results of the vote were relayed to the church through the church messenger system, and all three candidates were confirmed by the vote. Ashley also, on behalf of the deacon board, made a recommendation that the church grant our pastor, Tommy, a sabbatical during the month of February 2023. Ashley called attention to the five reasons that were previously presented to the church. Ashley emphasized two primary needs of our pastor for rejuvenation time and planning time. The floor was open for discussion and there was none. The motion was made, seconded, and a secret ballot vote was conducted. The results of the vote were relayed to the church through the church messenger system. The recommendation was approved by a majority vote. Eric Cunnicutt was again recognized on behalf of the finance committee. Eric made the motion that the church pay off the loan for the youth building. Mike Little pointed out that this had not been presented to the church two weeks previously as dictated in our bylaws He made a motion that the church suspend that policy and allow this motion to be considered by the church that day. The motion to suspend was seconded, voted on, and approved. The church currently owed $63,067.10 on the youth building loan. We had 
$781.69 in the Money Market Savings Account General Fund. The committee recommends that we pay off the loan in December 2022 using those funds. The floor was open for discussion. There was none. The motion was seconded, voted on, and approved. Then Mike pointed out that God greatly provided for the building of that youth center, and he thanked all those involved on the Youth Building Committee and our church who supported the endeavor. In just over four years, the building had been completed and paid for. Mike also pointed out the time and the effort that Treasurer Karen Little had given to that. Mike then asked that we end our meeting in praise to the Lord, and we sang the doxology together. He made a motion that we adjourn, which was also seconded, voted on and approved, and the meeting was closed with prayer. Respectfully submitted, Pam Hyatt. Thank you, Pam. Any correction to the minutes? Okay, stand approved. Any letters? No letters? Okay, I think we have one piece of business today, and Don Real is going to bring it up from the uh, cemetery committee. So you have a motion. I think it's already been in the communicator, so. The proposal is that current North Carolina regulations allow for the remains of more than one body to be placed in a single cemetery plot as long as the grave is covered by 12 inches of dirt. The remains must be in an approved container, and cemetery fees have been paid. Paid. Please indicate by checking either yes or no if our church will allow more than one body to be placed in a single cemetery plot. Any questions? Yeah. No. No, it's just we've had some previous inquiries into why we don't do it. So instead of me deciding what to do, then I just decided that the church needs to decide which way do we want to go. Now, we can put two vaults or coffins in the same hole, plus it can also be cremated and remains put in, into the same cemetery plot. So it's whatever the church wants to do. Well, it would affect any current ones that are that are that are now there. The only stipulation would be is that if, if you're wanting to add to the plot that's already there, it could only be in a cremated form because you have to dig deeper to put two coffins. So you can go either way with future burials, or you can do cremations on what we have right now. So it can go either way. As long as there's a fee to be paid based on what you are as far as you're a current member, a family member, or non-family member, there's fees that have to be paid. So you could be added to any plot that you want to as long as the fee is paid. So there's no stipulations. And you have a puzzled look that's up to the discretion of the cemetery committee 
you know, it, it, you know, we're not going to just add just arbitrarily. No. no. There's going to be some order to it. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, I think uh, Jimmy and uh, Zach are going to pass out the interest. I need these back to me. One per family, please. Or one per person, excuse me. We'll send that out by the tree, the, the communication tree. No, we'll tree. probably put that in communicator. Okay, just I'm wait. To get, I'll give that to Jessica uh, probably this afternoon or tomorrow. Okay. I don't know how to run the fold tree. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, there might be well, somebody I can help you. Okay. So it'll. we won't announce this today. It'll just come out in the communicator. Communicator. We sent out this week. Yeah, I think the communicator already went out. Yeah. Oh. We can announce it next week. If that's okay. I'll figure a way to get it out okay. to the congregation. Okay. Thank you, Don. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any other business, but I just want to make sure. Is there any other committee while we're here today that needed to bring anything before the church? Okay. Um, one other piece of business, we're going to have a call conference May the 21st, and that relates to our playground in the back of the church. The, I think the preschool committee, the building and grounds, the finance committee, the deacons, and I'm probably missing one, have been working on that. So if you have any questions before then, if you'll just ask one of the people on those committees, they should be able to bring you up to date on that. Um, any other business? Do I have a motion we adjourn? Motion. Second. Oh. Does anybody need a ballot? Hold your hand up if you didn't go back there at the back. And uh, pass your ballots to the center aisle, please. Anybody else need a ballot that doesn't have one? As we're passing in the ballots, has anybody gotten their ballot that's not gotten to Zach or Don? Any, any ballots still out there? Any other ballots out there? If you'll just hold your hand up high.
Any more ballots? Any any other ballots? Okay, I think I think that's all. Okay, um, do I have a second that we adjourn? Okay, all in favor, please stand. And I'll close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the service this morning, and Lord. Um, I think we see a lot of these things in our nation today, and I pray that this church will not be one of those. We'll be more like um, um, the, the shining light on the hill versus the one that's bringing everything down. Lord, I pray that this boat we've done today will be in accordance with your will and that it will be for your glory. As we leave today, lead and guide us throughout the week. Help us to, to be your arms and feet and reach out to our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.